Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. This is a loving, incredibly loving way uh, to start this. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And that is the point. That's the point of Scripture. That's the point. It's the idea. And uh, I don't know why it's funny, but uh, it's cracking up. All right. Anyway, it is the point. It's not a joke. Like, that's, not John, you're such a kidder. No, he's, uh, he's being real. Like, he's for real. I write this so that you will not sin, period. But if anyone does sin... Now, now remember how I talked about uh, a couple of months ago how First John is very much it's 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 like a it's like a trip to the chiropractor. Um, John himself he's 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 the oldest living apostle at this time. All the other apostles have died, and he's actually the only apostle who's not going to be martyred for his faith. He is going to be tortured for his faith, but he's not actually going to be killed for his faith. He's going to die, um, from all historical accounts, sort of a a uh, natural death, if you will. Um, so he's the oldest guy. He's pretty old at this point, and he's like the elder statesman of the church. The church has been growing. Ever, a lot has happened since, since the day of Pentecost. Um, there's a lot of organized, I know you can't say that word in Austin, but organized religion. They're organizing themselves around around the person of Jesus, all right? You can be organized around a good thing. And, there's a, and, and the church is growing, and it's spreading, and it's going out just from Jerusalem, as Jesus said, right? Tarry until you receive the Holy Spirit, then you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, right? Then in Judea. And it's, it's expanding beyond and beyond the borders. And as it expands... It's running into some, some problems, some difficulties, primarily some deception. The enemy is creeping in there with false teaching, false, false doctrine, and people who, you know, want to be in charge, and they have good ideas, and, uh, and they start inputting those ideas, and they start leading churches, and John is concerned about that. There's, there's misalignment in the church, almost like your spine can get out of alignment. And when your spine gets out of alignment, the rest of your body suffers. Well, when the leadership of the church gets out of alignment with, the, with its head, which is Jesus, then the rest of the fingers and the toes begin to suffer. The people begin to suffer when they're, when they're, when they're inhaling and eating false doctrine. You get a sore stomach, you get sick, it doesn't go well. And so John says, look, I see this issue and I want to bring some correction. So really, 1 John is a book of a lot of correction. And the way that he's bringing correction is very much like a chiropractor, where you, where you take the neck. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor. Like you lay down on the table and like they grab your neck and they, they like start pushing it. It's like, okay, that's kind of normal. And it's a little further than normal. And then it's way beyond what you would expect to normally bend your neck. Well, that's how you bring correction. You go to the extreme, correct that spot at the extreme, and then come back to the other extreme and correct that. So you're going to notice a lot of times in 1 John that he's, it feels like he's flip-flopping. It feels like he's bouncing back and forth, like he's saying one thing and then he's saying something else. Well, he kind of is. He's saying two sides of the same truth. He's, he's bending the spine, if you will, to the extreme. And that is the extreme, if anyone might sin. That's the extreme. The, the, the word if there in the original language, it, it literally means it's like the furthest away from, from reality. It's, it's almost like saying, you know, if the Browns beat the Chiefs today. 
Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 it would be amazing, right? Like, it would be like, wow, what in the world? But I don't know that anybody's expecting that to happen. I, I didn't expect them to beat the Steelers last week. You know, it's like, you know, like at the end of the game when they zoomed in on Big Ben, he's sitting on the sidelines. You guys see that? Looking like somebody had like reached into his chest and stolen his soul. Like he has a thousand yard stare. Like he was reconsidering everything about his life, you know? Like it's one of those kinds of ifs. It's like, well, we don't expect this to happen. But if someone does sin, because once you come to God, once you, once you submit to Christ and receive his power and his blood in your life, he breaks the power of sin. So you're no longer a slave to sin. But the truth is you do still have human choice. You have free will. And so that's why John is saying, let's, let's take this thing to the extreme. If someone does sin, or we don't think it's going to happen, it shouldn't happen. Why would anyone go back? Why would a dog go back to its vomit, right? Why would anyone go back to that mess after God saves you from it? But the truth is, it may happen. And so he's going to the extreme and he says, look, this is how we should treat that one. This is how we should think about that one. The person who might sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, if someone sins, we don't excommunicate them right away. There is an atonement available to them. There is still a sacrifice for sin for them that they can repent and return back into right relationship with God. Now that's important, uh, obviously, to anybody in this room who, who might sin. You need to understand that it's not all over. You don't need to throw away everything. Rather, you can quickly, immediately actually, repent, confess, repent, and turn away from that. Change your course, change your belief system about it. And so there's, there's great hope in that, but it's also, it's also helpful to the early church because they were, they were listening to a lot of teaching, mainly um, the, the teaching of Gnostics, Gnostic teachers or Gnosticism. It comes from the word gnosis, which is the Greek word for know or knowledge or to know something. Um, and, and there were two main wings of Gnosticism. The one wing was uh, everybody is going to sin all the time because we're human and humans just do that. And you can never get free from that until you get free from your humanity. That was one wing. Obviously, that wing wouldn't be that affected by this if anyone sins. Well, of course we're all going to sin. So 1 John chapter 1 is really dealing with that wing. He says, look, guys, look, you, if you want to fellowship with God, you must walk in the light. Right? So fellowship and walking are, 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 are interconnected. But then he says, and now he's saying, look, if anyone does sin, now he's speaking to the other side of Gnosticism, which was another wing that was more aesthetic in that they believed that the way to get this special gnosis or knowledge was by uh, adhering to all of the laws of the Old Testament. Basically living like a Jew. Uh, eat certain things, don't eat other things, celebrate certain days, don't celebrate other days, right? And, and uh, wash in this way, don't wash in that way. They were, they were very obsessed with their adherence to the law, and that was how they received this great Gnosticism, this great knowledge, that if you could just walk with God perfectly for long enough, you would get just this amazing new revelation, this knowing. You would know what the rest of us have come to know. 
And that's what Gnostics were all about, was knowing. That there was a special spiritual knowledge that you could get that would just transform your life. When you get that special knowledge, everything else lines up. And so uh, the, the aesthetic side said, well, the way you get that is by uh, basically living like a Jew, listening to the Old Testament commandments, following, following them to the letter. The other side, uh, the sinful side, if you will, said that the way you get to that is by acknowledging that you're sinful. It's kind of like the modern version of being woke. <laughs> I don't know if I should go there, but I mean, if you acknowledge that you're woke, suddenly you're woke and it's cool. But if you say you're not woke, then that's when things start to get sketchy. You don't have to change how you act. Right. You don't have to change any actual legal procedures. Just get rid of Mrs. Buttersworth and everything is fine. Apparently, <laughs> apparently life is much better. No, just kidding. Uh, there's got to be more. So, but the problem with <laughs> modern wokeness and ancient Gnosticism is you can acknowledge all day long, but until something changes that caused the problem, yeah. we're not any closer to being better people. And so the problem was that the Gnostics on one side said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a sinner and God's just going to use my sin somehow. And somehow them acknowledging it made them superior and okay. But it didn't. It didn't change anything. And, 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 and you know, I, I question whether or not removing Mrs. Buttersworth is actually changing anything. There must be actual change, like legislation. Anyway, it's just, just, just simply taking money away from the police isn't going to do anything. Anyway, I could get into all that. But you, you must actually change the process that is unjust. You must change the behavior that is unjust. You must, you, must, you must actually deal with the sin issue. And so the Gnostics had nothing to do with the sin issue. They couldn't touch it because on the one hand, all you could do was confess it. And on the other hand, all you could do was try to live above it. And if you're constantly just trying to live above it, guess what? You can't keep the Old Testament law. And so now John is brushing up against this, this, this idea that as soon as you're saved, you'll never make any other mistakes. You'll never do anything wrong. He says, wait a minute. If anyone does sin, just know that your salvation is not based on your be behavior and your ability to keep this particular law. Your salvation is based on something else. And you can go back to that. You can repent. You can turn. You can call on your advocate and your atonement. Right? And so these are the ways in which he's bending, going, going to the extreme, and he's adjusting. Now he makes another adjustment. Just in case, you know, you, you fall back into the other side of Gnosticism that says, hey, we can sin and, and it's all good. He says, look, we know that we have come to know him in verse 3. By the way, this is, I think it's the first time he uses these words, we know, we gnosko or nosco or gnosis. He's using the Gnostic's favorite word, and he uses it a lot right here. He says, we know, wow, okay, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, all right, Gnostics, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, Love for God, and another translation says love of God, which there's some conflict as to exactly which one it is, but I think both make sense here. Love for God and love of God is truly made complete in them. This is how, here we are, we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Yeah. Now, he's, he's bending to the extreme of, well, if anyone does sin, okay. 
But he's, now he's backing up as to why that's so extreme. Because if somebody who claims to be in him does sin, there's a serious problem here because actually we know that we have come to know him because we keep his commands. So our keeping of Christ's commands, not the Old Testament commands, but Christ's commands, actually is a confirmation to us that we know him. <laughs> so uh, everyone's like, okay, so what, so, so what do I know? Well, <laughs> with this, this passage, by the way, this is a hard passage to preach because this is a, um, it's a thermometer passage. You know what I mean? Like there are some passages that, passages that are thermostat passages um, and some that are thermometer passages. Um, for those of you that have, I, I don't know. I remember the day when we used to have a big old thermometer outside. I don't know if you remember the mercury thermometer sitting out there on the outside. And you could tell, or you could sort of tell what temperature it was outside by looking at the thermometer. It was sort of tell, because if it was in the sun, it was always hotter. If it was in the shade, it was always cooler. But the idea was a thermometer is something that tells you what temperature it is. Now, in our modern houses, we have central air. It's got HVAC in their house. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Growing up, I just had window air conditioners, so I'm thankful for HVAC right now. Uh, we got this little we got this little, this little box on the wall, and you can go up and you can see a digital readout of the temperature that it is in the house, and then a digital readout of the temperature you want it to be. So the temperature that it is, that's the thermometer talking, all right? It's telling you what it is, but then it has a thermostat so you can adjust the temperature that you want it to be. This passage is not primarily telling you how to adjust the temperature as much as it is trying to tell you how to figure out what the temperature is. And by the way, both are really important. If you just have a house that only has a thermometer, or it only has a thermometer, it only tells you what temperature it is, right? Like you walk up to it, it is 48 degrees in your house, and the kids are like, it's cold. And you're like, yeah, it's cold. And you go sit down on the couch. If you can't do anything about it, it's not helpful. Which is why scripture brings both of these to us, brings thermometers, but also brings thermostats. But by the way, if all you have is a thermostat, it's also not helpful. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble, but I, I am married to a woman. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Who has a broken thermos, thermometer. Her thermometer doesn't work. So I don't know if this is the case for, for every marriage, but I, I think there's always one person whose thermometer just doesn't work. Like, I'll walk outside, and I'm not bragging, but I'll walk outside, and I'll be like, eh, it's 64 degrees. And then we check on the app, and it's like 64 degrees. I, you know, my thermometer just works. I'll be sitting in the house, and it feels kind of like as warm or cold as it felt the day before, but not Roe. She'll say, it feels cold in here. Are you guys married to anybody who's like, it feels cold in here? just feels cold. Don't you? What we it feels cold. And, I, and, and at first, like in our marriage, I was like, well, did you, did, you check the, did you check the box on the wall? It's got a digital readout. Like, all you've got to be able to do is read numbers, and you can tell whether or not it is cold in here. Like, but, but she's like, yeah, I check it, but it feels cold. 
I, I, maybe it's a woman thing. I don't know. But how it feels is like more important than how it is. I don't know. I don't know if I want to get into that deep water. It's some deep water. Justin's telling me don't go there. I've gone there though with Roe. I've gone there. I'm like, honey, like, it was, it was, who is the guy? Facts don't have feelings. What's his face? Yeah, I mean, like, I've gone, like, okay, you feel cold. That's lovely. But it's not cold. So what you need to do is you need to read the, the thermometer and just read it over and over again until you believe that it's not cold. It doesn't work, though. She still feels cold. I don't know. I don't know, because 74 degrees is 74 degrees. Like, whether you're, where, wherever you are, in an airplane, standing outside, in a house, under the covers, 74 degrees is 74 degrees, like it's just always 74 degrees. And, and it's really helpful to have a thermometer because otherwise, every time you feel cold or feel warm, you'll go turn up the thermostat. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians are living their Christian life without any thermometer. They don't have an objective way to look at their life and decide whether it is cold or whether it is warm. And so basically, it's like you start feeling, I feel cold. And there's going to be times man, where you feel unspiritual. There's going to be times where you feel cold spiritually. That doesn't mean that you are cold spiritually. You just feel cold. Get a blanket. <laughs> We're not turning the heat up because I'm not cold because it's not cold. You know what I'm saying? Oh, this is a whole nother discussion. Sorry. Uh, but no, like on a spiritual level, like I, the enemy has wonderful ways of making you believe that it's cold when it's really not cold. Making you believe that you're further from God because you skipped your prayer meeting this morning. Making you believe, you know what I'm saying? Like there's so many ways that the enemy has of, 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 of changing your reality to match your feelings when a thermometer would give you a clear picture of what the reality actually is. And I think God wants, doesn't want us to live based on how we feel. Feels warm in here, feels cold in here. Because at the same time, the same person who can feel like they're far away from God because they didn't pray this morning will also sometimes feel that they're close to God because they went to church on Sunday. Which this doesn't say anything about going to church on Sunday. He doesn't say anything like, well, you know, you know, I don't dress like that. Well, okay, well, it doesn't say anything about that. I don't listen to that music. Well, it doesn't say anything about we, 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 will, we will excuse ourselves for so many things that we really shouldn't, and then we'll beat ourselves up for stuff that we really shouldn't beat ourselves up for. So living by feelings is what I'm saying is a really bad way to run your life because you have no idea really if it is cold or if it's not. And a thermometer is so helpful because it gives you an actual readout of what's going on in your life. It's beautiful. So we need spiritual thermometers. And this passage is a spiritual thermometer. We know that we have come to know him. In other words, John is looking at the, at the thermometer of his life. And no matter what he's going through, he knows that he has come to know God. And that's so powerful, to know that you know. I think it's what he says. We know that we know. To know that you know God. It's so powerful. And it's especially powerful for people who grew up in the church and were taught that, you know, maybe you don't know him. Do you really know him? Are you sure you know him? And so many doubts start creeping into your mind. But there is a way to know that you know and as a pastor, I mean, I've sat down with people who are getting ready to die. And look, if you ever need to know that you know, 
It's right. You're about to step in. You're about to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You better know that you know. And, th and, th and this is what I say. Because here's the, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're 14 or like 74. The enemy's going to bring up stuff from your past. And the enemy's based on stuff from your past is going to say, you don't really know God. Because if you knew God, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have thought that. You wouldn't have desired that. This is what's interesting. Look what he says. He says, if we keep his commands, not if we're tempted by sin. So what's beautiful about this passage is he is further explaining what he means in the beginning of the passage, right? If anyone sins. Well, what is sin? Well, nowadays, I've heard a definition of sin that anything short, anything that falls short of the glory of God is sin. Which is everything. Like our worship this morning fell short of the glory of God. My preaching always falls short of the glory of God. The car you drove in today fell short of the glory. My car's a little bit closer to that glory, but it's still, not to be blasphemous, it's still short, it's still below, but it's close. There's, there, there are degrees, okay? There are degrees of glory, I'm just saying. There's the, yeah, there's the, there are. Anyway, they, they fall short. Everything falls short. And if that's your level, then just simply being human is sinful. Jesus, apparently, when he laid aside his glory, was sinful because he was not as glorious down here as he was up there. And so to fall short of the glory of God, it's, it, it's taken from a misreading of, of the Greek word hamartia, and, and it does mean to fall short. But it, 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 anyway, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, there was, that, there was that old, I'm stuttering a lot, but that's because I'm trying to figure out, there's so much, like, like there was that one southern preacher, there's an old southern preacher who said, uh, I feel like, a, I feel like a, a, a mosquito on a fat man. I know where I'm going, I just, I don't know where to start, so... That's insensitive. That's insensitive. I don't know. The old, the southern preacher said it. It wasn't me. I don't know. Um, there's just so much. Because we have this version of sin that is like anything short of glory. And so if you're not careful, when you feel tempted, you'll feel guilty. So we got to define this. He did not say, this is how we know that we know, we've come to know him if we, if we never feel tempted. That's not what he said. He said, if we keep his commands. Now, to keep his commands, commands, that's your actions. So the truth is, you can go through a day and be tempted by sin, but not engage in sin. And this is how we know that we know him. Because to be tempted is to be human. Also, to make mistakes is to be human. Right? And so there are times when I've accidentally lied to Roe. Right? Because she'll ask me, where are the keys to the car? And I'm like, well, they're in the car because that's where I always leave them. I forget sometimes that for random reasons, like a regular human, I take my keys out of the car and I hang them up on, on the wall. So she'll go out to the car and the keys aren't in the car. Well, you said they're in the car. I thought they were in the car. They're not in the car. Oh, they're hanging up on the wall. So there are mistakes that we make. And if you're not careful, you'll beat yourself up over mistakes. Uh, you, you, you maybe have had a, a, a habit, for instance, of reacting to your spouse or your kids or somebody in close relationship in a certain way. And maybe it wasn't a godly way. And that's just how you always, you just, you, you snappy, right? 
Well, guess what? You repent of that because Scripture says we ought to be gentle, we ought to be kind, we ought to be all that kind. Okay, okay, this is how I'm going to react. Well, you, you're, in a, you're in a habit, so you're used to reacting this way, and when things get busy, you might react that way. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean you need to throw away your salvation and come down and feel guilty and cry and stuff. No, you can repent immediately. You can stop as soon as you figure that out. You can stop and say, kids, wait a minute. That's not how, I'm sorry. Can we redo that? That's not how I want to respond to you. Because that's not right. So there, there, there are mistakes that are not sinful. There are, uh, you know, honest mistakes. And there are, there are habits sometimes that are mistakes that are not sinful. There are, there's also just simply being human, being tempted is not sinful. He, he's, he's defining for us what he means. This is why it's, he says it's so extraordinary that a Christian would sin. Because a Christian to go against the commands of Christ. By the way, he's talking about the commands that you know about. So you also may, may come to Christ and you're walking with him and then you read more of your Bible because you never read it. <laughs> and so now you read more of it and you're like, oh, it's Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, do not worry. I have been worrying for the past 15 years. You know, like as soon as, like as soon as my job, as soon as I lose my job, or I'm worried about possibly losing my job, or maybe I'll lose my, like everything has caused me to worry I haven't been saved all this time. That's not necessarily true. He says if we keep his commands, in other words, the commands that we know, are we being obedient to those commands? And one of those commands is to read his word. So, so the idea is you're going to end up knowing all of his commands. We don't know them all at once. So you can't hold yourself accountable for what you don't know. That's not sin. We had some great talks with Micah. He's nine, and he's learning a lot about this. He wants to get close to God. And I told him the way to do that is every time you sin, whether it's against somebody or against God, you, you, as soon as you realize he did it, you, you go and make it right. You say, you apologize to a human, you confess it to God, and, 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 and you, you make it right. And he's like, well, as soon as I do it? And I said, yeah, as soon as you do it. Well, this turned into a lot of confessing. And I don't want to share his whole story because it's his story. It's private. But um, there are many times where I would come home from, from the office and he would just rattle off several things. None of it was sin. <laughs> there was, you know, some of it was stupid. You know, why did you do that? I don't know. Well, okay, but I never told him not to do that because <laughs> I never thought he would do that. Uh, you know... But it's just, it's, it's just dumb. Like, I would say, well, don't do that. But, but it's not wrong to do something dumb. It's not sinful to be an idiot. <laughs> All right? It's not politically correct. <laughs> and you probably won't have as many friends. Yeah, and to call people idiots, that's also not nice. But, you know, but to, but, but, but to, be, but to be ignorant is not sinful. He says, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So you may look back on your life and you're like, man, yesterday, that was just dumb. You know, I, I've had several, I, just about every day I can look back and I'm like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> every Monday, every Monday, it's like, uh, hmm. The mosquito and the fat guy joke, that probably wasn't, wasn't tasteful. I don't know. You know, it's, you can be dumb. And the great thing about, about God is God, 
Like, God knows you. He knows your limitations. He knows your intelligence level. And everybody here has different intelligence levels. He doesn't, he doesn't hold you accountable to be smart. He doesn't want you to be the smartest version of you. He wants you to be the most submitted version of you. So, so sin is when, and this is what I explained to Micah, if mom and dad tell you not to do something and you do it intentionally, that's when it's sin. Right? Because scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Not children, be smart. <laughs> children, be intelligent. Children, don't do dumb things. No. That's way too high of a standard <laughs> for my kids. I tell you, way too high of a standard for City Chapel. But I'm just saying, like, it's, it's children, obey your parents. And so even then, and even in that, you still have to understand, because there's times when he would run into the house. Mom says, don't wear your shoes in the house. Sometimes he'd forget. He's so excited to get something. He runs in the house with his shoes on. He remembers halfway through, goes down, takes his shoes off, puts them at the door. That's fine. That's, that's called a mistake. And so, and, so, and so sometimes I think the enemy has got us so wrapped up, and that's why we believe we can't live above sin, because to us, to live above sin means we're never tempted by anything. It means we never make any mistakes, and we never do anything dumb. Well, good luck. Like, good luck with that. You're going to be tempted because you live in a fallen world where the enemy is trying to get you off track. You're going to make mistakes because you're human, and you're going to be dumb because the Internet. Can we just blame, let's just blame the internet, can we? Can we just blame Facebook, I, I guess? Yeah, she's just going to do something. It, yeah, we were done before YouTube, but not as done. It, it has increased, I'll tell you. This will get me on YouTube, let's try this. No, don't try that. Uh, anyway, so, so this is what sin is not. But what sin is, though, it is a breaking of the commands of Christ. And in order to live by his commands, you have to read his commands. You have to read them, and you have to actually apply them. So I would encourage you today, just this week, just go to Matthew chapter 5 and start reading and pretend like it applies to you, right? Like this isn't, this isn't a study. This isn't some book of some imaginary thing. No, he's talking to you. When he, says, when he says anyone who says you fool is in danger of hellfire, that's he talking to you, <laughs> You might want to rethink your driving habits and your language while driving. And it's not just the word fool. It's, it's calling, it's, it's denigrating people. It's calling people idiots, I guess. It's denigrating people that God has made in his image. And so it's looking at them and it's saying, you're not this and you're not that. And so it, it, and this goes for every relationship, whether you're married or not married. But for some reason, we think we can get away with more with people that we're closest to. It's not true. It's not true. You can't denigrate them either. This, you vowed to love and cherish them, for crying out loud. Keeping your vows is also important. This is very important. And so he says, look, calling people fools, uh, lashing out in anger. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said by men of old, you shall not kill. I say to you, whoever is angry at his brother without a cause is in danger of hellfire. Uh, same thing was with adultery, right? Obviously, committing adultery, having sex with anyone outside of a marriage covenant is, is adultery. And, and that's the classic version, but Jesus upgraded it. And he said, actually thinking about having sex with anyone outside of your marriage covenant is also adultery. So adultery happens in the heart. So it's very important that we, this is the command of Christ. This is what, this is what he's talking about. Anyone, anyone who knows him, 
will keep his commands. And so read through his commands and let it be a, a, a measure to you. Let it be a thermostat or a, th a thermometer. Get that confused. Let it be a thermometer to you. Let it, let, it, let it reflect to you the temperature, the spiritual temperature of your heart. Don't argue with it. Don't be like, well, I don't know. I feel kind of warm. I'm good. No, like how you feel doesn't matter. What are you? Are you spiritually warm? Are you spiritually cold? And, 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 and the truth is, we're trying, I'm, as a pastor, I'm trying to get you ready for eternity. So this is a, this 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 is a great little this is a, what are the what do they call this? This is a little test that you take on on Facebook where it's like um, how I look when I'm 80 years old. You know, you answer these dumb questions and they give you this picture of a really hot girl. You know, and it's like oh, that's how I'm gonna look. You guys haven't seen those? I, so many people posted those. I'm like, you are not gonna look like that when you're that lady's not 80. You're not. She's not even like you're not going to. Come on. Like, you can't sit on the couch when you're 40 and look like that when you're 80. Like, something's got to change, you know what I'm saying? Like, between now and then. It's like, I, I, I took a quiz. I don't know. Well, guess what? Here's a better quiz. Go to Matthew chapter 5 and say, do, do these statements apply to me? And if they don't, look, it's not condemnation. It's not the end of the world. You need to know that now. You need to, you need to see that now so that you can go back to the thermostat of God's word. And turn up the temperature and say, okay, uh, these parts do apply to me and these parts don't, right? Okay, well, guess what? You need to turn up the temperature in those parts. So here's, so here's the issue. Actually, the kind of cool thing about this, this passage of Scripture is it has the, the thermometer to let you know, are you walking just as Christ walked? If the answer is no, then you need to turn up the temperature. Uh, it lets you know with the, with the thermometer, with the temperatures in your life, but it also does have a bit of a thermostat. He says, this is how we know that we know him. So it would be horrible preaching for me today to, 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 to hit you with some, some standards of God and say, all right, now everybody go live up to those standards this week. Because that's not the point. This is how we know that we know him. In other words, if you want to live up to his standards, if you want to keep his commands, you have to know him. So the goal is not, okay, I need to go learn how to keep his commandments so that I'll look like I know him. <laughs> no, this is how we know that we know him. So the, it, it, it would be, look, so like uh, Madden's been working through math for a while now, she's in long division. I, don't, I forget what grade, she's homeschooled, I forget what grade she's in, but she's doing long division. And lately she's been having to show her work. I don't know if you guys remember that. In school we had to show your work. And so she brought, um, I was home this week, she brought a problem to me. She had a long division. And then it had a box where she was supposed to show her work. In other words, supposed to prove that her answer was right. But it was weird, and I hate math, uh, because in order to prove that your answer is right, you do the exact opposite of what you did to get the answer. Now, to me, if I want to prove my answer is right, I go step by step and show how all my steps are right. But in, in the crazy world of math, if you want to prove that long division is right, you use multiplication. Of course. 
You use something different to prove that something different is right. I mean, naturally, I mean, you know, which is why I struggled. My relationship with math was really bad because I didn't realize. So could I not use subtraction? Could I use like what? Why is it? Why is it multiplication? But anyway, so so she had to then take her 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 problem, her answer. She can't. She had come to through division and then prove it through multiplication. And that's actually what John is saying here. He says, look, you arrive at keeping his commands through relationship, but you can see that you have relationship by keeping his commands. So the answer is not to go home and try really hard to keep his commands. The answer is to go home and get to know him. Then you will keep his commands. So it's not a command problem that we have. It's a knowing him problem. We, we, we don't keep his commands because we don't know him. So if we want to keep his commands, we must get to know him. And that word know, it's an, it's, it means intimate knowledge. It's one thing to know about God. But it's another thing to know him. It's one thing to know about your spouse. But it's another thing to know them. To know what they like. To know what they don't like. To know their favorite color. To know, to know them. And so really... All of life is a journey to know him. And as you know him, the fruit of that shows up in your life by keeping his commands. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so just, just, just real quick, I, I, I guess I just want to end today, and I'm cutting it short. Uh, as worship went over, but that, that's good. because That's part of knowing him, right? Worship is part of knowing him. Daily worship, actually, not just on Sunday morning. Daily worship is part of knowing God. And so I would encourage you, if you want to know God, look, if, if, you, if, you, if you are keeping his commands, then celebrate that, right? Like, just rejoice in that. Say, thank you, God, for your grace and your power is the only thing that can enable me to do that because temptation is strong and temptation is out there and my heart does lean toward it, but I have this saving power inside of me that enables me to resist temptation, to resist the devil, and he flees from me. And so celebrate that. I mean, thank God for, for, for that. And then seek more knowledge. Seek to know him more. Seek more of his commandments. So uh, this isn't to make you feel bad. Like, just, just enjoy it. Just say thank you, God, that I'm walking in the light, that I'm, I'm being faithful to what you're, what you're telling me. And ask him for more grace. Oh, for grace to trust him more. That's a good, that's a good line. Because you're going to need it, all right? You're going to need more oil than you thought you would. So just ask for more power, more grace as you move forward. But if you're, if you're listening to this message, if you're online or wherever you are, and you say, mm, I, I, I'm not keeping all of his commands. Okay? Well, you say, I'm not keeping any of his commands. All right, so you need to know him. You need to welcome. The, the first step to knowing him is welcoming in, him into your heart is calling on his name. Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You do not have to pray the sinner's prayer. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. You call on Jesus. You say, I need you, Lord. I need you in my life. You, you turn away from your sin, and you choose to follow him. All right? That's the first step to knowing him. And as you do that, this, this new revelation comes into your life. There's a supernatural work that happens inside of you and begins happening, okay? And many of us have done that. And so I think most people listening to this would say, well, I'm following some of his commands and not others. Okay, great. So you know him some, you need to know him more. That's the answer. You know him some, you need to know him more. 
Okay, how do I know him more? Well, worship is one of those ways. Spending time daily in worship. Uh, what is worship? Worship is, is acknowledging his worth. It's communing with him based on who he is. So you're going to have to read his word to worship because that's what tells us who he is. You don't pick up on who he is by osmosis or by humming or by meditating. You get who he is by his word. He has revealed himself. He's revealed himself. He showed himself who he is. The scripture is full of who he is. One, he's, he's our atonement. Two, he's our advocate. We just read that. So just meditate on that. Just dwell on that. So worship is, is a big part. Uh, listening to, to, to worship songs throughout the week. Um, spending time in prayer and worship. Just meditating on him. Just thinking about him is worship. Just dwelling on him is worship. You don't have to be able to sing or know, or know all the words to songs. Half of us up here don't know the words of the song, so it's all good. Like, we just, like worship is, 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 is when, you, when you take your brain and you take it off. Of, like, you know what worship is. Like, we all know what it is because we've been to a football game, right? We've been to a baseball game. We've been to a concert. We know what worship is. Hands go up. We get excited. We get focused on something, and we adore it. That's what worship is. But true worship is when we adore God. And so when we, when we acknowledge him and adore him and dwell on him, do that and you will know him more. Do that and he will reveal himself more to you because you're reading his word. That's just the second thing you ought to do is read his word. You must, if you want to get closer to him, read his word. And, and there are great ways to do that. Um, we have an audio um, way to listen to his word, which I prefer. But also, I mean, I'm reading here from an app that's on like all of my phones and stuff. Uh, it's uh, the YouVersion app. It's a great app. And it has reading plans. If you don't know where to start, it has reading plans, like topical plans. Like, I want to read about addiction because I'm dealing with that. Okay, here is a plan to read scriptures that have to do with addiction or depression or anxiety or whatever you might be going through. There's great plans. Daily plans, read this portion today, read this portion the next day. But you must get into his word because his word will reveal who he is. And then you have to pray. If you want to get close to God, you have to spend time in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said, a, a sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. <laughs> it's because there's a, there's a direct correlation to how much you know him and then if you keep his commands. And so the enemy will try to distract you, get all kinds of stuff. But, man, you've got to set time aside. Fifteen minutes maybe is all. But setting time aside to connect with him in prayer. Prayer is talking to him and listening to him. So you can do whichever. And it's not formal. You don't have to kneel down beside your bed and put your hands together. You can if you want, though, because posture is important sometimes. So sometimes I do kneel down because that's powerful. But sometimes it's more like, you know, it's, it's like communicating with anybody. Sometimes Ro and I have really deep talks. Sometimes we send text messages to each other. Right? And that's the way it is with God. Sometimes we have really deep talks, and sometimes it's like, God, I need you because uh, I'm about to talk to this person about something, and I don't know what to say. And it's, it's a quick text message. But throughout the day, pray without ceasing. Keep in contact with him so that you will come to know him. I promise you, if you're praying every day, you will come to know him. Uh, also, serving is a great way to know him. Giving of yourself. Because you are most identifying with him when you're serving others. And you will most understand him. A selfish person will never understand a selfless God. A greedy person will never understand a God who would give his son. But you just won't. It won't make sense. He, he's, he's crazy to you, and his word won't make sense, and it'll be bizarre to you. Why would he do that? 
because your your whole your whole your whole mentality is wrong. But if you start giving, if you start serving, like Thursday night, I was here with uh, with a few folks on the creative team, and then we had our 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 uh, uh, team uh, with Christina here, and uh, who who else was? Yeah, yeah, Christina and Nicole were here, and then Christina's kids, and they were all serving the community as they come to the, the pantry to get food, and it was awesome, and what was really cool is then, then I, I was in my meeting over here, and then I came out, and when I was leaving my meeting, they were gathered around the cell phone doing a Zoom small group, uh, Nicole and Christina were doing the freedom group with Poppy and them, and that was awesome. Because it's like, that to me is the body of Christ. We serve together and we grow together. And so connecting to a body of, of, of believers is really important. And, and, and it's important to getting to know him. You say, well, how do I get to know him? Just by connecting with, with a body of believers. Because we are his body. The, the church is his body. And so if you want to get to know me, but you never want to see my body, <laughs> it's going to be tricky. Um, you know, you're not going to get to know me that well. We're going to have to sit down and talk because 85% of communication happens right here. 15% is the words that are coming out of my mouth and 85% is the facial expressions on my face and the, the hands and so like it's, it's nonverbal communication. So you must come into touch. If you really want to hear God, 15% is by reading what he said. 85% is getting to know the people that he has transformed and changed into his image. I don't know if that's scientifically the split there, but, <laughs> but physically that's the split, uh, is what researchers say. And I think spiritually it is, it's very similar. So you must connect, and that's why we have small groups. Not because every church needs to have a small group, but because it's a part of you getting closer to God. That's why we have prayer in the morning, because it's a part of you getting closer to God. That's why we have 21 days, because all of these things are a part of you getting closer to God. So uh, you must know him more. And that's my prayer for you, that you will know him more. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray for this, this, this congregation, those watching, those here in the room. Uh, nobody ever gets to know God accidentally. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say, I'm just, just going about my life and just got closer to Jesus. No. <laughs> Lord, I pray for a spirit of intentionality over them right now. A decision, like, you know, like the kind of thing that makes you rise up and say, I'm... I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue a relationship with him. I'm going to personally take responsibility to get to know him. He already knows me, but I am going to take steps toward getting to know him. I pray for that. I pray for that spirit of intentionality here in this, this new season, this new year, that we would rise up and know you more, know you better, and live for you and shine your light in our community. May, may we serve, not just at church, but may we serve folks at our workplace. Lord, you want to use your hands and your feet in the, in the secular workplace. You want to use our attitude in the secular workplace. You want to use our transformed and renewed minds in, 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 in the secular workplace. You want us to reach unsaved family members and loved ones. You want us to minister to people who are far from you. You want, you want your church to bring in the lost and the hurting, not just church plants, but churches that have been going for almost six years, uh, like City Chapel. You want us to, to, to reach out and continue to bless our community and share the love of God with them. So, Lord, would you, would, would you do that? Would you, as we get to know you more, may we become more and more like you, that we would love like you love and that we would live like you lived and that we would be 
in your image, that I may know him. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may be, that I may be made conformed to his image, even the image of the, the, the dead man on the cross. But I want to be like him. Lord, do that work in us in Jesus.